Blog Talk Radio. She's probably she's listening right now. And a sad note for but to dedicate the show to Dwight Tony Esposito, who's a big horse along with Bill Esposito, a big friend in the program by bringing hockey to the Tampa Bay area. I can hear you start 
our legend as ever, the Jersey Shore, Mr. Don Henderson, up in Hotlanta, Mr. Roger Hitler, spinning at the house, Mr. Frank Carroll. Gentlemen, good evening. It's uh, Saturday, Saturday with the organization right now. It's the, the passing of Tony Esposito. What he did to the club with his fail, dealing with the Japanese of getting a, a team in the Tampa Bay area, that was a, a struggle by both Phil and Tony, but they did it. Well, of course, anybody in Tampa has to, uh, you know, really be very close to this situation because Phil started the Lightning, and uh, right. through his leadership and his really duration of trying to keep the organization together, did so, and now they're Stanley Cup champions in back-to-back years. And his brother Tony was drafted by Montreal, uh, played mm-hmm. 13 games there in 1968, uh, but was left unprepared or un- unprotected, I should say. Uh, by the Blackhawks and uh, uh, picked up by the Blackhawks from Montreal because they didn't, they didn't keep a, a protection over him. So uh, uh, still holds the record with 15 shutouts in his, his first year there with the Blackhawks and had just a u- tremendous, tremendous career, considered one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. And for those people that they were fortunate enough to be at the Chicago Stadium and the old tin roof and see the Blackhawks play and uh, see what kind of performer he was with his butterfly saves. Uh, I know Roy uh, spent a lot of time in, in Chicago. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if he goes back to 68, 69, but uh, that's the year that uh, Tony came in, and uh, he was a, a fixture for uh, 14 consecutive years. And uh, Roy, some of your thoughts. Yeah, Roy's not on yet. I have to get him back on. Oh, Roy's not on. Okay. (laughs) Don, you know, uh, I I would agree with you uh, about Tony Esposito, and I think he's in the uh, same classification as uh, Bernie Perron. And uh, and then you start looking at the old-time goalies, Lorne Wordsley, the, uh, you know, the ones like for the uh, uh, Canadiens, I mean, all those great uh, players from back in that original six era. Uh, right. You know, maybe never duplicated, okay? Who knows? Well, he, he was rookie okay. of the year the first year he came in looking. and uh, really oh, set the standard for goaltenders throughout the National Hockey League. Like you said in, in the early days, starting in 1968, and then, the Vezina Trophy in 1972 and again 1974. Uh, just a, a marvelous, marvelous story. And uh, how lucky can you be? Everybody thinks of Montreal and the Canadiens being the standard bearer for the National Hockey League. And he was under contract to them, but only for 13 games. And uh, they decided not to protect him. Uh, a little bit like uh, Roberto Clemente with the Dodgers. Uh, the oh. Dodgers elected not to protect him. He was taken by Pittsburgh and became one of the greatest players in Pittsburgh history. So the same thing happened with Esposito. He was not protected uh, by the organization, got to the to the Chicago Blackhawks, and the rest is history. Roy, Roy's joined us, Don. Oh, great. Roy's with us. Oh, okay. Well, let's get some comments from Roy because he's a – He's a Chicagoan, so uh, I'm, I'm sure that he has somewhere back in his memory a lot of things that happened with the Blackhawks. I don't know if he's old enough to remember 1968, but we'll see. Roy? 
old enough, let me tell you something, guys. You're talking to a guy who was there in 1969 when Tony Esposito came to the Blackhawks, became a a Blackhawks fan about a year or two before that, and put Tony Esposito, Esposito, guys, was my absolute boyhood idol. Uh, He was ahead of Ernie Banks, ahead of Billy Williams, ahead of, believe it or not, anyone on the Chicago Cubs at the time, I so badly wanted to be Tony Esposito uh, at the t- back then, uh, and I was like 10 years old and just absolutely thought he was the, you know, which he was. He was the greatest hockey, you know, the greatest goalie of all time. Uh, followed his career all the way through. Um, went and saw him, you know, play obviously at the stadium many times when I was in Chicago. We lose and Roy. My brothers uh, went no, to. No, he's uh, on there. Okay. Roy's still there? Yeah. Yeah, see, Hello? there was dead air, Frank. We didn't We didn't hear Roy. Yeah. Yeah. He, no, um, just going back to him while we get while we get Roy back on the line. Uh, uh, He's right there. One, one thing you can think about, uh, in those days, of course, the original six, it was every night was a battle. I didn't play that many games. It wasn't like now where you play 80 games a year. And uh, mm-hmm. the travel was totally different. Everything was different. And uh, he he just came in and established himself, as Roy said, uh, probably the premier goaltender of all time, along with uh, Bernie Perron, as, uh, as uh, Roger said just a moment ago. Is Roy back with us? No. No. Ro- Roger? Roy, are you? Roy, are you? I'm here. Don, you're there. Tommy, are you there? Yes. Good. Okay. I don't. I don't know what the problem is with Roy. Roy, are you there? He's there. Can you hear me? I'm here. Can no, you guys we can hear me. Hear him. No. Roy, now, everyone. You have to understand. Roger's an old man, and sometimes he can't hear you. <laughs> well, can anybody I'm not hear me that now? Old. <laughs> Roy, he's younger than me. <laughs> yeah, guys. I'm here. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Well, right. so you were talking about Let's... Tony Esposito, and, and, and I know the, the question was uh, that Don was saying that he didn't know if I was old enough to uh, to have remembered. He said 1968, but I guess I remember 1968, but I also remember 1969 when Tony Esposito came to the Blackhawks and uh, became and, and had the 15 shutouts. And I'm telling you, guys, you are talking to arguably the greatest Tony Esposito fan of all time. Um, I'll put myself up there with anybody. He was my absolute boyhood hero. Um, as much as I love the Cubs, and you know I do, uh, Tony Esposito was ahead of Billy Williams, Ernie Banks, uh, Ron Santo, anybody even on, anybody on the Cubs, really. Uh, and I adored that team as much as anything. But, um, Tony, there was something special about Tony Esposito. It was an absolute thrill to, uh, you know, to, to have met him a couple of times in Chicago, uh, when I was just a kid, his you know he happened to show up a couple times at the at the rink that I played uh, minor hockey in, and uh, and then I uh, met him uh, when I was much older um, in college. Uh, went to a game in Atlanta when he was uh, he had the night off, and he happened to be sitting up in the stands uh, two hours before the game. I could could barely get the words out when I went and asked for an autograph. I was so nervous. And then mm-hmm. uh, the thrill of all thrills to have been able to cover him and Phil and their quest to uh, bring the lightning uh, to fruition in Tampa. 
uh, and to get to know Tony on another level. And, and uh, well, last night when we heard the word, I, I sent a text out to Phil and, you know, with a big thank you to him and Tony, obviously, for, you know, helping a young, naive and uh, truly, truly starstruck reporter uh, to help him helping as much as they did and uh, to let them in on the inner circle of the lightning back in the day, and they, which they did. And um, I'll tell you what, uh, it was an honor. It was a thrill to have watched Tony Esposito play throughout his career. Um, I think he's arguably one of the three greatest goaltenders of all time. He was an innovator, and um, it was an absolute thrill to, to be able to cover him uh, and, and the, uh, the efforts that he and Phil put together in, in building the hockey team. Look, Tony had a lot to do with that first playoff team that the Lightning had uh, back about five years into their existence, because he was he was integral in bringing Darren Poopa here. He was he was a big he was a big advocate of uh, of the goaltenders back then, and uh, he was their head of scouting, and he had a lot to do with uh, building that hockey team. So um, I, I think he's often overlooked when we talk about the Lightning and uh, their success early on. It wasn't tremendous success, but they uh, they were competitive, and uh, they gave people fits at times. And uh, Tony had a lot to do with that. <laughs> Roy, you know, you years bring old, up it's the too young of time to die at seventy-eight. But he had pancreatic cancer, which is uh, one of the most devastating for those people. And you're in the medical field too, Roy. That uh, you could discuss that a little bit too, because if you really have a tough time. Pancreatic cancer. Uh, is very very difficult to uh, to overcome. Yeah, when you find it late, as was the case unfortunately with Tony, it is um, almost with any cancer. You, you've, that's why you, it's important to get screenings and tests and, and shots, and you know year after year, make sure you go and see your doctors and and get and get these things diagnosed. Because if you diagnose them early, your chances are so, so much better. And uh, unfortunately, this one was um, a little bit too far uh, advanced. Uh, when Tony found out, and it's it's, it's horrible. It's, it's the worst news possible anyone could could receive. But um, you know, I'm sure for the for the couple of weeks that he did, he gave it the fight that he always gave, and uh, w- with everything he did, he was a fighter. And uh, and as I said, he was an innovator in the game. And uh, he is a he is a person whose place in the Hall of Fame is is so uh, solid and so strong and so well deserved. You know, there's 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 some people on Hall of Fame you can you can question in all Hall of Fame. Tony Esposito is not one of them. He's, uh, as I said, one of the greatest players of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the things that uh, goalies do nowadays, um, some of the equipment they have in particular, um, the protection around their, their wrist on their catching hand, things like that, the mask that you see. He started that. He was the first one to come up with that kind of an idea. Uh, the wire around the eyes um, was, was part of it. He Right. Sort of unique, too, Roy, because the first game he ever played, uh, his shutout uh, record is is remarkable, but the first game he ever played was against his brother, and and it was a 2-2 tie, and his brother scored the two goals that tied the game up uh, in those 13 games that he played for for Montreal. So uh, they had a little rivalry going between the two of them, and it went up as a 2-2 tie in the first game. Yeah, and and you know what? That there was a rivalry. That was a rivalry within the rivalry between Chicago and Boston back then, because they were two of the you know two of the best teams in the in the NHL in their uh, in their respective uh, conferences and divisions back at, at the time. You know, the Bruins won a couple of cups. Uh, Blackhawks unfortunately uh, did not losing to Montreal, and 
70-71. So, you know, it's um, it, look, you had two of the greatest players of all time in the league at the same time fighting against each other, you know, six, eight, ten times a year. It was great hockey back then. I still think that was the golden era of hockey, and um, those were two. Those two guys were part of the. They were they were two of the gems for sure. Still in tone. Tommy, hey Roy. Oh, that's, oh, that, that's right. Go that's ahead, Tommy. Yeah, Roy. When you said when when Bill and Tony got the Lightning finally together, he, I, I, it's so funny how they had to go through the Japanese to finally make the final payment up there and that. And, and Bill said and Tony, they said, oh, "We got the Japanese back. Someone crinkled it." <laughs> so, that's the way the organization got started. You know that. So, but I think you know Tony Esposito was great. Cody block for the Tampa Bay right? Like you said, got Darren Pupa. He's got the players, and Bill's a great what? friend of this program. He's a good friend of mine. And Bill, you're, you're, you're in our prayers tonight. You know, dedication for Tony Esposito. You know, Tommy, we also, want to, uh, we also want to keep a, a good thought and ask our, uh, our listeners to keep a good thought for uh, Bobby Bowden, um, a terrific coach, a terrific person, and uh, he also uh, suffered from pancreatic cat, cat cancer and passed away uh, Sunday. Well, you know, on top of that, Frank, uh, I wanted to bring it up a little later, but since we're talking about uh, all the Hall of Famers that uh, passed him away, uh, Bill Wright Sr., that we all mm-hmm. grew up with right. in Philadelphia, passed away yesterday. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, of course, Don's W-I-P. in the Hall of Fame. Right. No, 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 W-I-B-G, Don, Wibbage. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, that's where he started, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then went to PEN. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, you know, uh, I know it's, uh, not necessarily Roy knows, but uh, uh, he, of course he's in the Broadcast Pioneers Hall of Fame, as is Don. But, Roy, I wanted to get back to you with uh, Tony Esposito. Uh, well, growing up in, in Chicago, you, you were with the original six, okay? We weren't. And I was a, a minor league uh, a hockey fan of the Philadelphia Ramblers, used to go out all the time. And, uh, and I, I loved Ivan Wamsley. But as a kid, my hero was Robin Roberts. And I had the picture like you had. But were you a hockey fan before you were a baseball fan? Uh, probably not. Um, the first memory I have of being a fan of any sport um, was 1967. Uh, the Red Sox playing uh, the Cardinals in the World Series, and I distinctly remember rooting so hard for the Red Sox for two reasons. Number one, my dad was my dad was from Nashville, New Hampshire, and he was a Red Sox fan, so that was number one. But number two was um, for some reason at that point, um, and and I don't remember. I mean, I remember watching Cubs games in '67, but I don't remember having the passion, but at some point by October, I had such a passion against the Cardinals <laughs> that uh, I, I so badly wanted to see them lose because of what they'd done to the Cubs. And i and I got to be honest, I don't remember a whole lot about the Cubs in 67. Now, 68 was different. Um, and it was the same with hockey. Uh, you know, I certainly watched uh, hockey in, in 67 and 68, uh, but it was really in 69 was the year that I really started following it closely and it was because of Tony Esposito and the Blackhawks um as you guys know in 67 68 they they weren't that good 
69 was a completely different animal. And, uh, you know, I started watching at the beginning of the year and um, absolutely fell in love with it. And, and maybe it was because that was probably one of the first years that I had a chance to start playing minor hockey as well, um, organized minor hockey. You know, I'm nine years old so at the time, so uh, it makes sense that uh, that would be the time when I, you know, was became interested in hockey uh, and had such a passion for it. And, you know, those 69 early 70s teams of the Blackhawks, uh, I, you, I mean, I had, you know, my, my walls were, were, were plastered with uh, pictures of, of all those players. And, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, guys like, uh, you know, Keith Magnuson, Kenny Warren, Cliff Coral, uh, Pitt Martin, the, the whole bunch, you know. And I, I've got an old, and I showed this to Phil one day, I've got an old uh, 8x10 of Phil Esposito autograph from when he was with the Blackhawks. Um, so, you know, wow. I was, uh, I was certainly into it. No doubt about it. Hey guys, have you playing the Blackhawks? Losing you, Tommy. I don't hear Tommy now. No, we're keeping, he's in and yeah, out. They've, they've got a, there's a disturbance up in the, uh, in the area where he is and that's blocking the uh, radio signal coming out. Oh, Okay. The, uh, oh, well, Roy, we can know, also so, touch on the fact that uh, St. Marie, which a lot of people <laughs> probably don't know because they didn't follow hockey that closely, but uh, right across the uh, the border there, and uh, that's where they where he came from. And but they had a lot of hockey up there and a lot of great players. <laughs> Known as the Sioux, yeah, and Sioux St. Marie, uh, another guy named uh, I think his name Gretzky came from uh, played with Sioux St. Marie, so. You know, look, yeah, it, it was it was a hockey hotbed. Um, you don't hear as much about it these days, and I and maybe I just haven't you know researched it to see what players have come out of the Sioux lately. But um, it was kind of interesting how um, when the when the Lightning were put together, uh, Phil and Tony. I'll tell you one thing about them: they're they're loyal as all as all you know all get out. They really are. A lot of the people that they put in charge. Uh, of the Lightning early on were people that were part of the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds that uh, that they played for in junior hockey, guys like Angelo Bombaco and, and people like that. Um, these were the people that they leaned on uh, to be their scouts, to you know, to be uh, trainers, things like that, people that they knew from uh, their minor days and junior days uh, in, in Sault Ste. Marie. So, um, and, you know, I, they're still loyal to those people today. Um, it really is uh, interesting. It's a, it's a small community, obviously, but uh, a very tight community. And again, it was—you um, could call it Tampa Bay, uh, maybe Sault Ste. Marie South in a lot of ways, because Phil and Tony made sure that those guys found uh, found a way into the NHL through uh, through them with the Lightning. Roger, well, you want to go in a different direction? Yeah. Uh, we don't have to have the whole yeah. half hour. I just, uh, just I over to Tony, but question uh, about Tony. I just wanted to find out, but did he pass away living in the Tampa area? Then we'll go uh, to NFL because I have a question for Roy. You know, guys, I'm pretty sure he's living. He was he was living in the Fort Myers area now, uh, or the or the last couple of years. Uh, his son is a chef, and I believe he opened up a restaurant down there. And I believe that he and Marilyn, Tony and Marilyn, uh, his wife, uh, had pretty much moved the family down there to to Fort Myers. Of course, Tony was still, you know running around all over the country at all times, primarily back to Chicago as an ambassador. Um, and, again, I, you know, when we talk about Tony, as, look, as a player, tremendous. Um, as, a, as an assistant general manager and, uh, you know, 
director of scouting for the Lightning, strong, solid. Um, as an ambassador, Hall of Fame level. Um, he he was part of a kind of a, a a renaissance in Chicago that that brought the fans back to uh, Chicago Stadium and then ultimately the United Center uh, after uh, after some lean years. Uh, the, you know they'd lost their fan base, but uh, when uh, when Tony Esposito and, uh, and and Bobby Hull and Stan Mikita, while he was still alive, uh, decided to get back in, when the Wirtz family asked them to come back as ambassadors, they all embraced it. And they were there all the time. They were. It was a regular occurrence. Uh, it was hard to go to a Blackhawks game over the course of the past uh, ten years here without seeing one of those guys, and and several others as well. Uh, you know, just greats from the from the Blackhawks past uh, at the game, signing autographs. And uh, and I'll tell you what, Tony was so proud uh, to have been a Blackhawk. He was so proud to have played in Chicago Stadium. Um, it was it was it was home to him. It had become his home, and um, he's uh, he was a special he was a special uh, guy, and uh, he's being missed now uh, in Sault Ste. Marie, in Tampa, probably in Fort Myers, and uh, certainly certainly in Chicago. Well, my NFL question goes back to last weekend, which I think was spectacular with all the home uh, Hall of Fame activity. What did you think of Peyton Manning's uh, speech? Yeah, I didn't see it. Um, <laughs> oh, you didn't? I, I, okay. I, I'm not a fan of Hall of Fame speeches. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I'm against them. I just find them, you know, they're they're boring to me. But So I didn't pay any attention. I was watching baseball, and uh, so I apologize. I'm sorry, I don't have the right answer this time, but I'm going to be honest. Uh, I didn't watch a second of it, including John Lynch, which um, I probably should have, but uh, John Lynch got in, and good for him. And uh, that's that to me was uh, a couple of years uh, too too long waiting for him. I hope Rondé Barber doesn't have to wait as long. But uh, I, I've seldom, if ever, watched Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, and I I didn't watch this one, so I can't say. I I assume it was funny. I'm su- I assume he had some great things to say, no. but um, I missed it. No, it was it wasn't funny, Roy. It it was. Uh, I mean, there was a little bit of laughter in it. Uh, you know, he acknowledged Tom Brady. But I want to tell you, I think it was one of the most spectacular presentations I've ever seen. And so do a lot of other people. It's been on, you know, sports radio and everything. Because what he did was, in my opinion, Don, I'd like to have you and Tommy and Frank jump in on this. He set up a roadmap of football as football, not just the NFL, for the future and and what needs to be done to keep it going. I'd like you guys to comment and see if you agree with me with on that. Well, I'll answer quickly because Steve Cazell is all set to go too, and we'll, we'll back in him immediately. Uh, last comment on uh, Tony was that they're about to have their 100th anniversary, the Chicago Blackhawks, which is very interesting. Uh, the Wurtz family getting prepared for the 100th anniversary. Uh, secondly, to answer your question very quickly, I don't watch any Hall of Fame. I, I don't watch Baseball Hall of Fame. I didn't watch Football Hall of Fame. I never watched basketball. Uh, I'm not a great Hall of Fame uh, uh, supporter in the sense of watching it on television and so forth. So, Roy, I have to go full length with you. I, I just don't follow Hall of Fames. Yeah, I'm right there. And uh, since you got the other guests coming on, I'll I'll I'll, I'll leave you guys with this. Uh, I'd be interested in hearing, uh, and maybe we can talk about it next week. Uh, you know what I'll do, uh, Roger? I'll, I'll I'll look up the the speech, 
and I'll uh, I'll take a look at it and uh, let's discuss next week what he's talking about about the roadmap uh, because I think the NFL needs one. There's no doubt. Football needs one. Um, there's no question. It's to me. Um, if there's a sport that's on the endangered list, it's football. And uh, the injuries and concussions and things like that, uh, you know, even the deaths you hear about uh, this time of year when teams start getting out there in the heat, um, something's got to be done. And so I'm interested in hearing what his, uh, his take is on a, on a path going forward for the league. So uh, if, if it's all right with you guys, let's discuss that next week if there's not breaking news that we have to talk about ahead of it. I'll do the That'd same great. thing, Roy. We'll have a chance to Thank chat about know. it with uh, with Roger and, and get some of his uh, comments and his thoughts about it. But thank you very much, as always. Great thank to talk you. about Roy, Tony. Great. great to talk about the Blackhawks. Great to talk about the National Hockey League. And we'll now jump in. Uh, as I said just a second ago, Steve's ready to go. And uh, a couple of things, uh, Steve, right off the top. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to see the Yankees and the, and the Royals this afternoon. Uh, or the last couple of days, but uh, they played a different game than we've been seeing for quite some time in Major League Baseball. No, I, I didn't have a chance to see the uh, the Yankees game this this afternoon. I was uh, actually out working in the Florida heat today, which was a lot of fun. Well, that uh, Kansas City – well, let, let me get to Roger. Let, let Roger get in first on baseball. <laughs> uh, well, I, you know, I just uh, one thing that's uh, disturbing for the Phillies is JT Riamuso was knocked out of the game in the first inning. So hopefully that's not serious. Uh, that's number one. Number two is I think uh, Joe Girardi's done doing an awful job of managing, uh, and I'm not alone on that. I mean, Don, you're up in the area. You probably hear it as much as anybody. And uh, why he can't get uh, the pitching staff. Uh, after they get a complete game from Matt Wheeler, and he's got to bring the bullpen in to start a game uh, and have a bullpen game against the Dodgers is beyond me. I don't get it. Uh, And, uh, you know, unless there's injuries that I don't know about. But uh, I am concerned about uh, JT Riamuso being knocked out of the game. Yeah, injuries are going to decide a lot going down the stretch, much more than anybody's individual managing managing of a team, uh, injuries are going to be the number one factor. Uh, managers aren't going to come out and tell you which pitchers have a dead arm right now, and I've, I've been weary of pitching. I, I told everybody would listen to me. I won't evaluate pitching all the way up to August 1st. Uh, that includes after the All-Star break when guys got a little bit of a blow. I said I'm going to be paying attention from about August 10th till about September 30th, October 3rd, to see which teams can hold up on their pitching. The managers and teams that made a commitment to laying off their pitchers, going with more unique pitching situations, and loading up on pitching all the way through the system um, are probably going to be at an advantage. Teams that are going to be at a disadvantage are teams that run out of gas down the stretch. And it's going to be fun to watch which pitchers go, you know, which pitchers run out of gas. And it'll be also interesting to see which pitchers are just true horses that carry it all the way through into the postseason. And that, to me, has been kind of the sideshow of the entire 2021 season. Well, You're I exactly agree with that. Right. I think the biggest, the biggest blow is going to be DeGrom. I, I, I don't really believe that he's going to come back and be a major factor. I hope he is. Uh, just one of the super talents in baseball. But uh, I think it's going to be difficult. To go back to Roger's point, 
and follow with your point, uh, Steve. You know, they're all over Joe Girardi for how he's controlling pitching, and Rogers started off with that point. The one thing he has been consistent about all year is that he will not let his pitchers go beyond what he thinks is their ability to, to pitch. He will not give them an opportunity to hurt themselves and not be available for a couple of weeks. And in Philadelphia, I don't know whether they don't understand the principle of what pitching is all about. But, I mean, in September and the end of this month, the guy just won eight straight games. And they spent last night talking about how it lost the first game to the Dodgers. By the way, the Dodgers aren't the team that I remember being the Dodgers. But anyway, they spent the whole postgame show, and then they talk about how Joe Girardi (laughs) – Lost the game. Well, Joe Girardi hadn't lost any games. The players have yeah. lost the games. And uh, yeah. well, I agree with your point, Steve. I, I, I think he's managing the team, so he's going to be consistent when it comes down to the end of August and September. It'll be interesting. By the way, the Dodgers lead Major League Baseball with 176 run differential. I mean, it's, that's, that, that is very impressive. Um, it's surprising their record's not better than it is when they have a plus 176 run differential. Right. Generally, the run differential, you know, goes a long way into your record. So there's something with the Dodgers where they're not performing up to where they should be. I hate to be a sidebar there, but going back to the uh, how Joe Girardi's managing, honest to God, guys, I don't watch enough Phillies baseball. And I've, you, you know me, I've always said, you know, I don't really put a lot of credence into what a manager does on the field too often. I keep a track of how they handle the clubhouse and how they cover for their players and stuff like that more than I do the ins and outs of what, how they manage um, a game. That's just how I view things in my, my little world. Well, I, you know, I don't disagree with that, Steve, at all, to be honest with you. I understand that. And, but I can give you, just go back in the games, and I can show you where he has cost the Phillies 10 games. Absolutely. <laughs> Forget the pitching. No, no, with moves, Don. With moves. Okay, well, moves, that don't moves make sense. Only, yeah, moves that don't make sense because he's not going to tell you who, who's not available that night. It's a famous Buck Showalter line when they said, you know, why did you do this or why did you do that? And Buck said, look, 80% of decisions that are made in a bullpen, we're not going to tell you anything about because we're not going to give we're not going to tip our hand about who's available and who we're giving a day off to and who we're taking it easy on. It's it's Buck Showalter when he had that Baltimore Orioles bullpen uh, was very creative with it. Um, it, it, it I, I can't speak about what's going on in Philadelphia. You know, I just know that you know every manager has a reason for what they're doing, and if there's something illogical that you're picking up on, this is another thing I picked up myself. If there's something really illogical that you are picking up up on, there's a logical reason for it that you don't know about that they're not going to let you know what it is. <laughs> well, 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 I'll, give you, I'll just give you a couple state. of examples going back, and I'll, I'll let Roger jump in here because, uh, you know, they were all over because he didn't let Kennedy pitch the third game. Kennedy had come in. He explained in the postgame show that he had only, had only pitched 51 innings before the trade was made. He had pitched two consecutive nights, and he wasn't going to let him pitch the third night. He tried to explain it to them, but they didn't listen. He wasn't going to let him <laughs> pitch the third night, not because he didn't want to win that game, but because he didn't want to lose them down the line. Well, okay, here, <laughs> here, here, here's the, the thing. Here, wait a minute. Here's my, my response to that, Don. They were up five to nothing. 
He brings in this guy I don't ever heard of him before. The guy gives up one, two, three home runs. It's now five <laughs> to three. Now he brings Kennedy in to try to save the game that they should have been able to win five nothing with with just somebody else coming in there. That was ju- that's just one move in the last few days. And I but was they the won big, the game five to big, three. Then they they, they, they won the, five three. Should have been one five to nothing, Don. Yeah, that's but you would have had you would have had Kennedy pitching two more innings. No, you don't have to bring Kennedy. What about Archie Bradley? There's so many other guys that well, he could have used. That's all they complained well, about was they keep bringing Bradley in. They keep bringing – why are they pitching Bradley? What do these guys want him to do? Manufacture well, pitchers? Basically, well, you're, you're a Joe Girardi fan. So was I, but I'm not anymore, okay? Well, because I've gentlemen. seen too many games. Well, here's, anyway, here's let's baseball. talk about something positive. Matt Wheeler, okay, had a you know had a masterpiece. I will say that last night that game was a masterpiece between Scherzer and Nola, okay, and then for the three innings. Game. For three innings. Yeah. <laughs> no, I thought it. I thought it was five. No, they, the rain came at the, when was the rain three delay? and a half or three. I can't remember. If it was three and a half or three. Five innings when they when the uh, storm came and it was going down for an hour and a half. Yeah, I watched That's the whole thing. That's what the rain delay was. I thought it was uh, – you may be correct. I thought it was only three, but I watched it right no, the end through the, through the postgame show. I watched the whole thing. Okay. Well, okay, Steve, you're, you're, we'll get away from that, and I'll just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> uh, you, guys, you guys are the best. I, I absolutely – when I get a few minutes with you guys, it's, it is the best. And I think about these, I think about these conversations – for two, three weeks. Honest to God, I honestly do. Uh, it ro- rolls through my head, you know, and I always say to myself, I should have said that. Oh. <laughs> let me, let me ask you one question. Oh, right, right out of right field, which I don't think anybody has an answer to, and I'll also get your opinion because we, none of us, I don't think, will have an answer, but we all have an opinion. My opinion is I have watched baseball all these years. I have never seen as many wild pitches and pass balls as I've seen this year. I saw the Yankees again that Roger was talking about earlier when when Boone, if you want to talk about somebody, brought a pitcher in. He threw four wild pitches and, and the and the and the Yankees lost the game. He had a runner on first base, he wild pitched him to second. Wild pitched him to third. Wild pitched him home. Then he had the next guy on third base. He wild pitched him home. Four wild pitches at one inning, and the Yankees lose the game. But it's it's night in and night out. The catchers don't catch the ball. The pitchers don't. I mean, I never saw anything like this. Yeah, yeah I, I haven't. I, I haven't noticed. I grew up with bad catching all around me, always catchers with bad knees in Cleveland back in the day, whether it was Bo Diaz or Ron Hassey or, or Bill, you know, whoever it was behind the plate, always seemed to have bad knees and couldn't block anything. Uh, Victor Diaz, you go, the, the name goes on. I, I grew up around bad catching. So for me, in my, for me, for my watching, I've seen more bad baseball than any of you guys, you know, in my lifetime. <laughs> Uh, growing up in Cleveland, you know, from 1975 when I was a little five-year-old kid and I got hooked on the game up until I left in 1998, I, I, I saw bad baseball. So uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting comment, you know. Some of it 
it, it has been talked about. Some of it is, you know, catchers are trained to try to frame the pitch. That takes precedence over blocking balls and like they used to in the past. So the easiest way to catch a ball might be to go grab that and bring the glove down. But you're trying to make sure that you keep the glove in the strike zone and try to steal that strike for your pitcher. And that's one excuse that they've given. Now, when a guy's on base, that that should go out the window. But there's such an emphasis on framing pitches to try to steal a strike that that's one reason that they say wild pitches have increased over the years. I hope – I haven't observed it, though. But I'm sure you're right. I mean, you know, it's probably per city, you know, each city (laughs) – you know, like I have, I have, uh, you know, down here, I got Mike Zanino and Francisco Mahaya, two very good defensive catchers. Maybe if I didn't, I would see 20 more wild pitches in the course of a year than I do. Roger? Well, the, you know, I'll tell you, Steve, the, uh, I watch a lot of Braves games, obviously, now. And, uh, I mean, they've had a rotation because Travis Deneau was, uh, you know, has been injured. Yeah. And uh, I'm just, I'm just amazed at, at, you know, some of the guys coming out of the bullpen, not only the Braves, but other teams and, and how good the catchers are to be able to, you know, to make some of the stops and some of these pitches that they get. But I'll tell you, our friend Dan Baker, the Phillies uh, PA announcer, it was 49th season. Just think about how many losses he has seen in 49 uh, seasons oh. of being the Phillies' PA announcer. <laughs> hey, the more baseball we all watch, you know, that old saying about being strong up the middle, you know, catcher, shortstop, center field, it makes That's more right. and more sense, doesn't it? It does. You're exactly right. And what did the Phillies do? They went out and got Freddie Galvis because uh, Didi is awful on defense and uh, not hitting well either at shortstop. Right. And, uh, you know, and this is one well, this is one of the other criticisms of uh, Joe that he's so tied into Didi from his days with the Yankees that, uh, you know, maybe they should have made a move instead of signing him again. You know, these are other things that you have to look at. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, remember back in the day when the Red Sox finally broke their jinx, it was in big part because, their defense was horrible, and they they went and got Orlando Cabrera to replace uh, Nomar Garcia Parra, who could not play shortstop to save his life anymore. And that made a huge difference defensively. And that's like that's one of the case studies from my lifetime of a team that said, okay, we're going to lose a little bit on offense, but we got to we got to help our pitchers out up the middle. And they went out and got Orlando Cabrera, who back in the day was one of the best defensive shortstops. Uh, that you could go get. And that was a great move by Boston and probably was one of the main reasons that they went on and won that world championship. Well, uh, Don, Don, Tommy, and Frank, I, I'm sure will concur with this. When the Phillies went out and got Manny Trio to go with Larry Boa at short, Mike Schmidt at mm-hmm. third, that's the that's the uh, group that won the uh, World Series in 1980. 10-20-30, Roger. Yeah, yeah. Right, ten, twenty, thirty, exactly. Yep. So, we're going to uh, we're uh, going to have Larry on with us in just a little bit, and and, and we'll get to it. But a couple of other things, uh, Steve, in in, uh, in your research, anything that uh, we did not touch on in the last show, which we touched on a number of things. Anything you'd like to to bring up before we jump to another topic? No, no. You know, the only thing that really stuck with me was we were talking about how do we enjoy baseball, 
you know, that was one of the topics. Do you, and it was, a, it was a question saying, do you enjoy this brand of baseball? And I want to get back into the brand of baseball. But it really got me thinking about why do we get hooked on baseball? What do we expect from the game? And what, is, what should the game look like to the spectator at home? And I realized over the course of the last couple of weeks, I've actually been answering this in my head, it's funny how we all, everybody has a different expectation when they sit down in front of a baseball game. Uh, my expectation for what I'm watching and what I enjoy may be 180 degrees different than what you enjoy or somebody else enjoys. And I thought to myself, that was a beautiful thing. It was like going into an art gallery and seeing a painting and everybody would, might, might see something different in the painting. You know, and it's something that I just thought about from our last conversation. So that that's just been stuck in my head. Well, one more thing before I jump over to uh, to Roger and Tommy, and that is, you you and I talked about at the beginning of the season what teams were going to be able to do this and what teams were going to be able to do that. Uh, I don't think anybody expected the Giants to be the Giants as of now. Whether they're going to be able to hold out, continue. I know Kapler's one of the Rogers' best friends. He loves to. He was sorry to see him leave, sorry to see him leave the Phillies to go to a pennant, a possible pennant winner. But uh, we talked about the best teams in the order. I want to tell you something. There are more bad teams, boys. I, I, I you know, maybe I'm overcritical, but I want to tell you, Steve. Th- th- you said Pittsburgh was going to be the worst. I'm not so sure. We got ball. I mean, we got so many terrible. I mean, that. Not even marginal teams that are like, uh, Miami. I mean, holy smokes! I saw them play the Yankees last weekend. Uh, they couldn't have won a game if they stayed there for six months, and everybody got the flu. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a there's a lot going on this year, and 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 I'm, normally I would have more comments on the haves and have-nots in the season, but coming out of 2020 and looking at the injured list for all these teams and realizing that some of these teams just uh, – they ran contracts out like Miami with Starling Marte and a few other guys. Um, you know, there's several teams that ran contracts out. Uh, there wasn't a lucrative trade market in the offseason with guys with contracts. And then there's also the the minor leagues had an entire year off last year. So guys that you may have had at A and then bursting up to A and then being ready for the big league this year – they don't have the body and volume of work that's required. I'm talking about some teams like maybe the Pirates and Orioles and other teams really could have used another year of development. So I'm not too surprised that there's some bad teams. I will say I'm most pleasantly surprised and looking forward to the Detroit Tigers who have really turned a corner and have really, you know, come. Are, looks like they're coming out of where they were. And that, that's exciting to me. But the rest of the guys, like Baltimore, there's no excuse for. I'm not a Brandon Hyde fan, and no, it's not because of his management of during the game. I don't think he's very good with the media and protecting his players and stuff like that. Um, but Baltimore is a very bad team. Pittsburgh's a very bad team. Uh, Miami, eh, you know, they, they did their trade deadline things and moved, you know, moved a few guys like Adam Duvall and Starlin Marte and, yeah, but uh, they, they, they they played the Yankees on Sunday, and they right, had a, and they, don't have they had Diaz they Garrett. had Diaz playing hitting one twenty three one twenty I mean one twenty three how can yeah. you possibly start a player at one twenty three Garrett Cooper is their first base. There's a lot He's of out that. for the year, you know Garrett Cooper's out for the year, 
you know, so you lose him, you trade Adam Duvall, you, you know, what's his name's on the COVID list, you know, when you're, when you're talking about playing the Yankees and you don't have uh, Jazz Chisholm because he's on the, uh, uh, the COVID list, Sixto Chan- Sanchez has been out. All- I mean, the Miami Marlins are a walking wounded. Uh, they yeah. don't have a minor league system that's been flushed to the top. Nick Nieder was supposed to come in this year and, and perform for them. He made a few starts and then he's out for the year, I believe. You know, I think uh, uh, Sicto Sanchez never got off the schneid. Uh, one of their other pitchers was pitching, uh, Hernandez, and then he comes back and he rips up his, his hamstring running from third to home. I'm glad they got rid of the DH in the National League because, yeah, you, you want your pitchers um, tearing their hamstring, you know, tagging up from third um, in a game. That was real smart. You know, so uh, in the case of the Marlins, they're, they're just kind of, you know, they had a nice year last year. Uh, but they really need to turn the corner. Uh, the guys that you're watching right now, what they're trying to do is say, okay, Lewin Diaz, you need to either crap or get off the pot, you know, and we're going to take a look at you down the stretch because, you know, Garrett Cooper's gone, you know. So, uh, but there, there's some teams that are bad, and there's some teams that are in the middle, you know. So the has and have nots this year doesn't surprise me. It just doesn't, not this year. Next year might surprise me a little bit more. Roger? Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Steve, that was a good point about Detroit because uh, I don't know whether you ever listen to uh, MLB uh, radio, uh, but uh, they've got some really – Steve Phillips uh, in the morning is terrific in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, uh, when I'm driving, I, I listen to him and I listen to NFL radio. But they had that comment by uh, several of the uh, – of the host on MLB, MLB radio that it looks like Detroit has turned the corner and is on the road to uh, really uh, performing. So I, you know, that your point's well taken. I, I agree with that from everything I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they still had injuries this year, you know, Alex Fido had Tommy John surgery. So his, his progression to the, to the big leagues has stopped. But Casey Mize has gone. Also, uh, what's it? Derek Gouble, I think, also had Tommy John surgery. He's out for next year as well. So, you know, they've and they they lost uh, Matt Boyd for a long period of time. Um, so again, they're they're battling injury like a lot of teams are. But they're you know they, they seem to have turned a corner. But uh, again, going back to the original point, uh, way long ago in this uh, my segment tonight, injuries, especially to pitchers, really define a lot when you look at the standings. Yeah. Well, also well, the also the COVID, back the COVID the is killing you. You know, right off from Mattingly, right on down. They, the Yankees went to, went to Miami, and everybody got the COVID. I mean, they're they're just a, oh, it's unbelievable. But let's go to the let's go to the Giants because they're the team that surprised me just as much as anybody. Can Kapler keep them going? Can they beat the Dodgers in the West? Man, you they lost Johnny Cueto today. That's going to, you know, again, they're, they're going to have to deal uh, with some injuries. And Dave Scalfani is, is on the IL. He, he's having a great year. What a, what a nice pickup uh, for him. So, yeah, I mean, they, they've, they've still got Kevin Gausman and, you know, uh, uh, Alex Wood. You know, I'm not sure how long Cueto is going to be out or when Dave Scalfani is going to come back. You know, but as long as, you know, again, when you give a manager a bullpen, um, it goes a long way, and if you look at what Ga- what uh, Gabe Kapler is able to do 
with that Giants bullpen, which is really just unbelievable, just loaded with arms. Jake McGee, Rogers, Jose Alvarez, you know, I mean, it, the list goes on and on. He's got a bullpen out there that he can just really lean on. Um, he even got a surprise. Uh, Dominic Leone, the Indians had him. He was with the Cardinals, then he was with the Indians, and then he kind of bounced around. And he's gone out to San Francisco and has just been absolutely nails for the Giants. Everything the Giants have touched pretty much <laughs> has worked to uh, – uh, Well, they're all having career years. Everybody's from Posey on down, they're all having career years. I think Evan Longoria has been on the 60-day IL. He's still on the 60-day IL. So he got off to that great start, and they've lost him for two months. Uh, Posey missed some time. You know, he's only played, in, I think, only about half the games or a little bit over half, say three-fourths of the games so far. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but you look at Brandon Crawford. I mean, who saw the year Brandon Crawford's having? Let's put it this way. When you talked about the free agent market, let's say we are having this conversation over the winter last year, and we're talking about upcoming free agent market at shortstop. You're talking about Francisco Lindor and Carlos Correa and Corey Seager and, you know, Marcus Demian is going to be back out there again. And you're, you're going through all the shortstops that are going to be free agents. Do you think any of us would have mentioned Brandon, Crawf- Brandon Crawford? Probably not. No. no. He's having a better year than all those guys. Trevor Spurs. Well, I'll tell you, the guys that signed, the guys that are looking for contracts this year coming out as free agents, or the one, I mean, they, the, the owners got robbed. The, the, the Mets, they signed Linder, three, $330 million, and the guy – not only doesn't play because he's been hurt twice, but he's doing nothing. I mean, he's doing absolutely nothing. Roger, jump in here. Yeah, Roger's well, I'm, trying I'm to. I'm jumping in. I got Chris Wheeler with us too, Don. We got Chris. Chris uh, joined us, and uh, oh, great. so we're all together now. Oh, but okay. I just, Don, talk about a guy hitting 121. There's a lot of guys that are starting that are hitting one something. You know, in baseball, I mean, you know, it's 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 hard to believe, but that's the way it is. But Chris is with us, Don. All right, Chris, let's jump hey. in here. Chris, of course, a broadcaster with the Phillies for many, many, many years, along with Howard Callis and Richie Ashburn and others. But uh, Wheels, we, we talked earlier this year about some of the strong points and some of the weak points of uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. They put together a little string of eight consecutive games and. Man, oh man, Joe Girardi. I we talked about it at the top. Of the, I, I never saw a guy criticized as much as he is. Wins eight straight games, <laughs> loses one of the Dodgers last night, and you'd think the guy never managed in his life. Well, I, I don't think it bothers him because he was in New York all those years, so he got warmed <laughs> up. He, he got he got warmed up for us. To, hey, you know what it's like. You know, Philadelphia, New York, Boston. I, I always said that stuff ends a little south of Wilmington. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, all part, it's all part of the deal. When you manage a, a team on the East Coast, uh, be prepared for everybody to know more than you do. <laughs> well, what do you think about the eight-game string and what they've, uh, what they've been, really been able to accomplish? It? Because they struggled and struggled and struggled, but all of a sudden they sort of look like a baseball team for a change. Yeah, what happened more than anything is three guys got really hot at the same time, which, you know, if you can get your big boys hot at the same time, you can do some damage. And uh, Real Muto and Harper and Hoskins all got hot, 
and uh, you know, and a lot of guys contributed too. Uh, you know, Brad Miller wound up hitting a lot of home runs. Uh, uh, Torres was unbelievable. You know, you go up and down the line, but the three three guys that you really count on all got hot at the same time, and that's one of those things that you just hope happens once in a while in the season. Um, and and the pitching hung in there. They caught the ball well enough. I mean, the pitching's still really shaky, and they don't catch the ball real well. So. You know, we'll see. Somebody has to win this division, but it'll be a flawed team, but it'll still be a division champion, and that's all that matters. Right. You know, Chris, I brought up earlier, and, and your point, just to follow up about the defense on the Phillies, which is really uh, lacking in many ways, and I was glad that they got uh, Freddie back. Gallup, yeah. You know, and I just can't wait for him to play because I think that's really going to improve the defense. I know it will at shortstop because Didi obviously – isn't hitting what they expected, and, and obviously his uh, defense is not that good. But, the you know, a lot of the things that have been said, I thought it, it's a shame that the rain came last night because that was a pitcher's duel. Hmm. And, uh, and it was everything that you had hoped for from Nola. And, of course, Wheeler, I mean, just looked fantastic. And But what a great weekend it was. I was talking to Dan Baker on Monday and what an exciting weekend it was for baseball in Philadelphia last weekend. It was great, and I uh, was lucky enough to be a big part of it over the weekend. You know, I went down there. They honored David Montgomery on Friday night, and I don't have to tell you guys. I mean, your audience may not know, but, you know, how do, how, how do we put into words what a wonderful human being David Montgomery was and how much we miss him? So Absolutely. they honored David. They honored David. And then, of course, Manny went on a trail on the uh, Wall of Fame on Saturday. Uh, and then they had the, uh, the the tribute to Roy Halladay. And you guys who have been around Philadelphia for so much, and Don remembers in his days here, and Roger, you know, uh, nobody does it. I mean, the Phillies may not be the greatest organization, wins and losses. Well, they're the greatest losses. <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> but nobody does those ceremonies no. like the Phillies do. It's just, you know, and David's gone, and, they're, they're, you know, he, so many people learned from him over the years that, uh, you know, it just continues with the, the wonderful people that are still in the organization. It was a goosebump moment all weekend. Uh, and then, of course, they played three really good games against the Mets who were struggling a little bit at the time, and we caught them at a good time and beat them. It also, was, the fact uh, uh, you're right, I don't know the if you had a chance to see it last night, Wheels, but uh, uh, they did, uh, you know, uh, little work with, with Bo and Charlie uh, during the rain delay, and they did a very nice piece yeah. on Dave Montgomery. I don't know if you were I don't know if you were at the ballpark yeah. last night and saw it or not. But and then the other comment I would make was that Joe commented about uh, was pitching after the game was over that that was the best he had, he thought that he had seen him pitch so far. It was and uh, so was those really three points you 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 just brought up a follow up on that. Yeah, well, Nolan was really good, Don, as he said. Uh, the key to any pitcher, and, you know, it, 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 it was probably this way 100 years ago, and it still is. If you throw your fastball where you want to, and then you have some other stuff to fool him with, well, when you watch Nola last night, he really established his fastball early, and then he was getting strikeouts on that really good curveball. Um, you have to do those kind of things. You have to be able to, to get ahead with pitches and then throw your chase pitches that aren't necessarily going to be a called strike. But with a hitter with two strikes on him, they come be defensive and they're going to chase him. And that's what was happening with him last night. Of course, Scherzer was Scherzer. You know, he thought, well, we're done with that guy. He's gone. He's 3,000 miles away. Boom. There he is. There he is. Back on the mound again last night being Max Scherzer. Just one of the really, uh, you know, you have to use the term or be careful when you use the all-time greats. But this guy, 
you know, he, he'll be another first ballot Hall of Famer someday. He's just unbelievable still. He Roger? is, you know, I'll tell you, Braves and Travis Darnot uh, just came back, Chris, and uh, he's been injured. And I think back about, because he was in the uh, Roy Holiday right. uh, deal with uh, Toronto, right? He was the number one prospect that we gave the uh, Blue Jays in that deal. Uh, he's a young catcher in the system that they really, really liked. Uh, he was in that deal, and that's the one that really helped sweeten it to get Roy Halladay in Philadelphia. It didn't work out for uh, Darno in Toronto, as you know. And then he went to the Mets and did pretty well. And then he's, then he's just been through a series of injuries uh, to his arm and all kinds of things that have happened to him. He became a really good big league hitter. He's a fair catcher at best, but a really good major league hitter. So uh, for him to be back for the Mets has to happen. Uh, you know, they completed that suspended game uh, uh, tonight, and they wound up winning that game 9-8. to They came from behind to win. So, you know, having that guy back. As I said, all three teams, um, the Braves, uh, you know, who added uh, outfield help uh, after they lost, uh, you know, two guys, one guy to injury and one to the domestic violence. Right. And the Phillies and the Mets are so close uh, as far as talent and overall. Uh, especially without the Grom around, uh, it, it's going to go right down. It's going to go down to the end, I think. Chris Wheeler, our special guest this segment. And, uh, Chris, let's talk a little bit about defense because the one thing the Phillies were noted for during their great years was not only that Manny Trio would per- certainly be a perfect example. We talked about it in the first segment of the program tonight that that really solidified second base and solidified the infield. Uh, but that was really – I mean, they were noted for not only being a, a great offensive team and a great team, and, but they were a great defensive team. Right. Uh, and as you know, Don, from being around us for all those years, up the middle, how could you beat the Phillies that team? You had Bob Boone, you had Trio and Boa, and you had Gary Maddox in center field. We say if you're good up the middle, you have a that's a pretty good start. And they were great up the middle. They weren't just good. Uh Nowadays, I don't think I don't know they pay much as much attention to defense as they did back in the times we're talking about. There are some very good defensive teams in baseball, and as a result, uh, you you can get away with some things. Uh, the Phillies are a team that struggles defensively and gives up two, three, four outs and I mean three, four, five outs an inning. Um, can't do that, and because right. the major the hitters are too good nowadays, and the pitching is too suspect. So you give up extra outs. And, it does, and as you guys know, as baseball guys, you don't see it in the box score. It doesn't show as an error. But you know it's a play that should have been made, and you can't score it an error. But it's an error in a lot of ways, and it, and it leads to scoring and uh, unnecessary scoring. Well, I was just going to say, you know, exactly right. I think about uh, what the Phillies thought that, that they had. Uh, I think it was what J.P. Crawford was going to be the heir apparent to Freddie Galvis, if I'm not uh, mistaken. And, uh, you know, and that never happened. I think he's doing pretty well now uh, playing on the West Coast. And uh, But, uh, you know, Scott Kingery, uh, you know, I feel so bad for him, Chris, because he was going to be the second baseman. And, and then he got moved all around. I really think all of that movement really has fouled him up, and I just hope that he uh, can uh, get straightened out and come back. He's not even on the 40-man roster, right? Right, and he also, um, you know, they wanted him to – what he needed more than anything, as you said, they, they took him off the 40-man roster, sent him to AAA, and then he almost immediately blew out a shoulder. He had to have a shoulder operation. Oh, wow. So he's done. He's not even playing, and he hasn't played now for three weeks, I think. So he wasn't even there very long 
when he had some kind of a shoulder problem. I think it was a labrum uh, surgery. Done. So he's going to go right back into the unknown going into spring training next year. And, it, yeah, you may not, you probably won't even put him on the 40-man roster. You know, they took a shot at putting him uh, on the – uh, taking him off and putting him on wait, obviously going waivers then, and nobody picked him up because he has a pretty substantial contract that he signed before he even played a game. You guys know that story with him. Yeah, he's disappointing. It's a shame because he looked like a big time hitter. He really was going to be a good major league hitter, and a bunch of things happen. I agree with you, Roger, with moving him around, but more than anything, he changed his swing plane dramatically, like a lot of these guys do nowadays, and it really messed him up. Oh yeah. Well, uh, it's taken a while for uh, Reese Hopkins to do uh, to get you know get back. It seems to be uh, at least he's back. Maybe not to what he was, but at least he's back where he's producing and hitting home runs and uh, driving in runs. He was as hot as anybody you could you could look at, and then he hurt a groin, made a dive for a, for a ball uh, in the hole in Washington, um, or it may have been before in Pittsburgh. It may have been. Anyway, he hurt it. And they kind of battled through it, and he got so many big hits in that series in Washington. But you could see he was struggling. And then he didn't play at all against the Mets. And then finally they put him on the IL last night, backdated it to, I think, the 6th of August, something like that. So he can't join us until next week when the club is, I think, when they go to San, when they're out in San Diego, something like that. And Real Muto in tonight's game, first, uh, he, second hitter of the game was a, uh, oh, Beatty. That big left-handed hitter that they have. But anyway, he hit two. He smoked two balls into the into his mask. I mean, he was almost out, out on, uh, knocked out. And they finally, you know, he got through the inning. But uh, when he came in the dugout, they had to take him out. So they got their fingers crossed right now. I mean, they lost him after two hitters with two vicious foul balls right in the mask. I mean, what are the odds are you're going to be hit twice on two pitches like that? Oof. Oh, just the the thought of it. Oh, and, uh, you know, it, it just snapped his head. And, and it, you know, it's really, it's like a Florida night here. It's so hot and humid. So, uh, you, you could, I just said, I'm sitting there thinking, hey, he can't go on. There's no way they're going to let him. They've got to go put him through the concussion protocols, too, especially nowadays because you're, so, uh, you're so aware of that stuff the way you didn't, didn't used to be. Chris, the Achilles heel has been with the Phillies now for a number of years has been that bullpen. Uh, you know, they've tried all kinds of combinations, and uh, it really just hasn't worked. And, you know, it, it, I, don't, I don't know how many teams really have a terrific bullpen, but when you have an ERA of over six, I think Baltimore is like nine this year. I mean, and, and the starting pitchers now are using shorter periods of time now that a game is they pitch four innings, four plus one, you know, four to third, four to that's that's a game. I mean, you you got to have a bullpen with 12 guys. Yeah, that's what you that's what you wind up doing now, Don. Is have 12, 13 guys on your on your pitching staff, and it's unfortunate. That's why it was so good to see a guy like um, Zach Wheeler want to pitch the innings that he does, and the, and and uh, Gibson, Kyle Gibson, the guy they got from Texas, is a guy that does pitch innings. Uh, not power like Wheeler, but, you know, moving, moving moving the ball all around and those kind of things. Nola can pitch innings. But you're right. It, he, it, the game has gotten to the point now where, and look, I don't want to get into all of it because it drives me nuts like it drives you guys, <laughs> all the metrics and all the nonsense and all. But one of the one of the things is now is you get 
certain guys that can only go so far and they can only face the lineup twice because when they face it the third time, they're going to get smoked. Well, they always did before, too, but, you know, <laughs> they figured a way to get through it and, and not have to use so many pitchers all the time. But you know what? I still love the game. You guys still do or we wouldn't be doing the show. So there's, there's some tremendous flaws that are not going to be changed overnight, if at all. So, you know, you have to make a decision. Do you hang in there with it and accept it, or do you uh, hiss and moan about it all the time? And I've decided to accept as much of it uh, as I can. I don't have to agree with it, but I still love the game. Oh, well, yeah, everybody do. does. You know, I, Roger? I brought, yeah, I brought this up earlier. My hero, uh, you know, growing up was Robin Roberts. You know, I had a picture of Robbie with the rest of the Phillies all around it. And then the other thing is uh, going to his uh, TV show at Channel 10 every Saturday. <laughs> Coming home Robbie. with a pack of returnable uh, 7-ups. So my parents would see me walking in with this six-pack. I said, hey, listen, I made money because I get to return the bottle. You know? And, I mean, it was just to be around Robbie, you know, when you're a kid, it's phenomenal. And you, you guys know, I'm sure you were lucky enough to be around him the way that I was. And, you know, sometimes your heroes disappoint you. Not Robin Roberts. Not Robin Roberts. Robin Roberts, one of the great human beings we're ever lucky enough to know. Absolutely. I still have the autographed picture of him uh, when he was coaching, uh, what was it, at South Florida? Yep, was USF. Yeah, yeah. yeah. South Florida, yeah. In yep. Tampa. Yeah. He did quite well there. I, uh, it's interesting because <laughs> I'll tell you, so many major league players try to go into the college ranks and, and coach, and uh, sometimes it's very difficult. It's a really different Probably move. When you, yeah, he did. He did well, and you know Robbie would, uh, you know that you, you guys, Roger brought him up. You too, Don. That uh, you know he was a. Com- in those days, they went out to pitch a complete game, and that's what they did. They just pitched a complete game. It, it didn't matter if it went ten, eleven, twelve. For the, they were still out there. A lot of those guys. That's right. You know, Lefty was in town over the weekend. Steve Carlton, and you know, just seeing him and laughing and having fun with him the way we always do. You know, he could be such a good time. And there's another guy who went out there and. I mean, Ozzy, Danny Ozark didn't want to walk out there. He just didn't want to go out and get that. And it was funny. They were talking about it over the weekend with Doc, with Roy Halliday, because Halliday came over from the Blue Jays, as you guys know. We had the DH over there. So he pitches nine innings. Well, he got in a situation in the National League where he really couldn't do much to help himself with the bat. He couldn't bunt. He couldn't hit. And, you know, they were going to have to take him out of games, which scared the heck out of Charlie. He didn't really want to do it. But I'll be darned if Roy Halladay did become a pretty good bunter and even put the ball in play a little bit uh, as his Phillies and National League career went on. That's how competitive he was. But those two guys, three guys we just mentioned, Robbie and Doc and Lefty, oh, boy, they want to pitch complete games. Well, well before and we run out of time in this segment, I also want to give Bo a little bit of a plug uh, because <laughs> – if you watch last night's game, I don't know whether you've seen down the line that many times, but it's a new show that Larry Bow is involved with, Charlie. Uh, and it's a sort of a fun show. You you stay, sit around and, and can have conversations about it. I missed a little bit of it. Maybe you know the uh, answer to this question because uh, I didn't hear the whole I didn't hear the whole story last night. I was back and forth between the Yankee game, which was going on. And uh, they told the story about the bus driver getting 50000 Well, Did you hear that or – you know what that story is? No, I know. I, I know they had Al on the show, our bus driver, who also uh, drove the Eagles around uh, many, many years. So I, 
I don't know. I know a lot of stories about Al. Uh, uh, in fact, one of the good ones about Al, if you could tell, he was a huge man, big arm. Oh, he's a huge. He's got the national too. Well, one one night they were on the bus and Boa was hissing and moaning the way he could. Nobody could complain like Larry, complaining about something with a bus. And uh, and Frank Copenbarger, our traveling secretary, said, "Hey, check out his arms. Why don't you go tell him?" <laughs> and it was one of the few times Boa shut up. Hey, I'm going to be one. I'm going to be their guest on Friday, so I'm kind of looking. Oh, that'll be great to be on that. Yeah, show, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you, it, guys it, are it's a fun. It's really a fun <laughs> show. And, and, uh, so when you see Larry, tell him uh, I said hello, and, and uh, I wish him the best of luck here, Charlie, with the show because it is <laughs> it's something a little bit different, but yet at the same time, it's a lot of fun. Well, they're an odd couple. They they. Uh, they're one of the great uh, success stories in our game uh, of, of cool things that happened. Because, as you know, when Bo got fired, Charlie uh, was the, became the manager, and he was really bitter. Uh, Larry was not happy. He was very bitter about it for a, a long time. And then whatever happened, and, uh, you know, there were a few things that I know that I can't, don't want to get into, but a few things <laughs> happened that kind of got them to know each other a little bit better. And I mean, they are thicker than thieves right now. They just, they go to all the home games, their advisors, not all of them, but a lot of the home games, and they sit together and they talk. Their wives are best friends. They're together all the time. Well, well they traveled really good. This, this relationship really built last year. I talked to Bo about it and, uh, because they traveled in their scouting assignments together, and that yep. really helped, helped the situation as well. well you, get, you, you get sitting in a car with somebody for two or three hours, you know, you you're either going to have the favorite tunes on the radio, or you're going to be able to talk to each other. So they uh, they uh, are uh, very, very, very close, and it's not it's not forced. Uh, I've been around them enough, and and you talk about you know Paul as being a world class needler, uh, and Charlie in his own right. Oh, I'll tell you one thing about that boy. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, God knows what he'll say about me on Friday. So uh, uh, it, it's always it's always uh, it's always interesting when you're with those two. Well, well, I look forward to seeing it, and, uh, and good luck. And, and, Chris, thank you, as always. Thank you very, very much. It's, it's a lot of fun. We try to make this show a fun show as well, and I appreciate you <laughs> taking time to come on with us. Don, Roger, it's a pleasure. You guys, we, we all go back a long, long way, and you know how much I love the game, and I'll talk baseball anytime with you guys. Just let me know. Take Chris, care, thanks partner. so much. Always great. I was okay. going to say uh, Don and, and Chris and uh, Frank and Tommy, that that show with Charlie and uh, Larry would be a great show in the wintertime for the hot stove league on TV. You know, with, with when, when it's like with 15 inches of snow and you're watching that, I mean, it's going to warm you up. That's all I down, it's, down, if you pay down the line, boys. Down the line. Enough. That's the name of the show. Okay. Take, Take care, care, Chris. Chris. Thank God you. Bless. All right, Mike's ready to go next, I believe. And, uh, oh boy, Washington, again, is in the midst of a lot of sports conversation. Uh, so uh, I don't know whether you guys want to talk soccer first, whether you want to talk uh, the Washington football team, uh, the Washington baseball team, which is struggling a little bit, the Nationals. Well, not a little bit, a lot. So, uh, Roger, I'll let you kick it off. Do you want to go soccer-wise, or what would you like to go? Okay, well, first of all, uh, because nobody that tonight has saw it. Mike, did you watch the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame festivities over the weekend? Okay, I did not watch all of it, but I did watch some of them. Um, 
I How about thought, Peyton Manning's feet? I thought uh, the two ones that stood out the most to me were um, Peyton Manning. I loved, but Peyton Manning is a kind of charismatic, charismatic, all shucks. That demeanor really came through in his speech. He had a couple of good one-liners, and I love that he kind of went in out with his speech, and he was showing who he was, right? You know, that's exactly what I yeah. expect from him. Um, I got to say, the one that really blew me away was Edgerick James. I was not prepared for him to get up and just speak the way that he did. Yeah, nobody was. You're right. Yeah. Well, I, I said earlier that uh, my my point about Peyton's was to set the roadmap for uh, football, as uh, the game of football. And I was wondering if you agree with that. What do you mean in set the roadmap for the game of football? Well, he set the roadmap about where football needs to be and to go in the future uh, because of all the controversies that, uh, you know, have come up about because of concussions and everything else that uh, you need to to really get, get it straightened out. Yeah, I think that uh, – I mean, I think he did. I think that he has a lot of good ideas. It depends, on, on, to me, on whether or not the powers that be want to listen to what he has to say. And that's yeah. going to be the interesting thing because kind of remember, Peyton's a little bit on yeah, the outside yeah. looking in. He's not involved in the league really in a lot of ways. He's had the invitations to do commentary, to do all of that sort of stuff, and he's kind of a shoot it. And I wonder if – using the Hall of Fame that way that he did and his unwillingness to be involved with the league in a more substantial way, uh, if that's going to rub some people the wrong way. Well, he's going to be doing the uh, an alternate uh, show of analysis with Eli uh, on uh, Monday Night Football on ESPN. So if you go to okay. ESPN2, there's 10 games he's going to be uh, doing. The two brothers are going to be doing that. But the other thing is his father, Archie, is the uh, chairman of the National Football Foundation. So, uh, I mean, football is in their blood. There's, there's no doubt about it. But um, uh, what's the well, – we can talk soccer. I know the uh, – I got the announcement this week, the – uh, the uh, United uh, made a move uh, to uh, improve their club. You probably saw that with an acquisition uh, from uh, outside the league. But I also heard that, uh, what is it, next year or the following year, what is it going to be, 32 uh, or is it uh, 34? I think it's 32 teams in the MLS. I know that they're expecting three more teams. Right now we're at 28, 29, I think. And they're going up to 32. 32 has been the goal for a long time. Now, 32 teams in a professional soccer league would make it far and away the biggest professional soccer league in in the world, right? The next biggest league is the English, the second tier, the um, like triple A version of English football, and they have 24 teams. Right, 32 teams is unheard of, um, and it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. Um, if, if are they going to keep it with this like this sort of conference play, and they're going to play everybody in their conference uh, twice, which would mean 30. Uh, if there's 16 teams, that would be what um, 30 games, and then I don't know where yeah. they would get the other four from. They seem to like to have a 34 game season. Um, 
I just can't see a situation where you could have 32 teams and expect everybody to play home and away once. That's just too long a season. And this sort of like weird convoluted thing that they have where you play some teams twice, some teams three times, some teams four times, I think needs to go. Um, I'm with bringing American ideas into professional soccer, but I'm not with messing up the game and the uh, structure unnecessarily. And I feel like they, they could be getting to the point where that's what they're actually doing. Well, let me go back real quickly, Roger, because, uh, you know, I read the stories on what the two Manning brothers were going to be doing, but I don't exactly understand. They're not going to be, they're not going to be at the break. Right, they're going to be in the studio, right? And they're, they're not going to have the yeah. game on. I don't really understand exactly how this is going to work. Well, the way I understand it, Don, is that they're going to, when ESPN is going to be the regular feed, when ESPN2, you're going to hear the Manning brothers. And they're going to be doing their analysis of the game as it goes along, just like you would be sitting in the family room having a conversation. And they'll be expressing, you know, their opinions about the, the play, and that's the way. There's, I understand it's ten games each season. That's for the, right. Ten the next, games is correct. Yeah, and then the other thing is, I don't know whether you watch the uh, show with uh, Peyton and Cooper. Uh, it's the uh, old College Bowl uh, brought back, and they're doing a fantastic show with that. The, I, what we all think, uh, you know, with Rita and myself, and, and uh, we think that show ought to be earlier in the evening. So it's addressed to uh, young people because it's all, you know, asking questions. And Alabama beat Michigan last night. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's done very well for NBC. And, uh, and, the, and the other thing is, I was talking about broadcasters for a second. Uh, this week, Joe Buck has been the, uh, uh, the uh, MC of uh, Jeopardy, you know, the guest right. Uh, host. Right. So in a fantastic job, uh, but uh, I, it looks like they may have already picked uh, the uh, replacement for Alex Trebek. Uh, we'll probably well, they, asked him, uh, they did posted a big uh, major story on, on him doing the uh, Jeopardy show and, and uh, uh, you know, whether he would uh, consider, because he's got so much you know, on the plate now, uh, doing the games, whether it's baseball, football, or whatever, and uh, whether he would be able to accept the job if, if in fact they did uh, you know, request that he be the guy to be the host. So we'll wait and see on that one. But it just seems to me he has so much right now that he's doing. I don't know. Okay, Mike, let's get back to let's get the football for a moment. Uh, uh, the COVID problem uh, with the football team. Uh, you, your head coach down there was uh, very upset when training camp and, and things started. How how's the football team now? Well. Um, and I'm going to have to leave after this because my mommy, I'm out to dinner with my mommy, and my mommy only gave me a little bit of time to get up from the table and talk to my friends. And I, I, all of you who have my moms know exactly what I'm talking about. I hope you're paying for the dinner. Yeah. Um, uh, Ron Rivera was no too, none too happy. Um, and remember, Ron Rivera has been battling cancer, right? He's been going right. to chemotherapy. Yeah. He's immunocompromised as anybody else. He was very upset with the uh, – vaccination status when they started camp at uh, his training camp, which was hovering around, I think, when they started, it was about 44%. Um, as of last week, it was up to 83%, so he's definitely addressed that. Um, 
as far as the training camp, you know, it has really been interesting since Ron Rivera took charge how little we hear from Redskins training camp. You know, the, the whole entire thing with Ron Rivera, which was in a press conference when he was talking about the vaccines and how upset he was with that, was just about as much gossip, innuendo, rumor, whatever you want to hear. They go about their business. They tend to do it quietly. They're going to play their first preseason game tomorrow, um, and that's going to be how it is. Well, you got to take it one day at a time, I guess, and uh, we'll so, see what we'll see what comes up. We'll let you go have dinner with your mom. Thank you very, very much as always, Mike, and uh, we'll get together next I'll, week and hopefully a little more yes, time. Yes, we will. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Take care. Our thank yous. Yeah. Uh, Doug will be coming up a little bit, but uh, uh, Roger, let's, let's go. Pardon? I got a question for you. Are you go watching ahead. the Phillies game? Okay, yes. are you watching the Phillies? Okay. Is it only the top of the third inning at 9 o'clock? Uh, yes, the top of the third inning is correct. It's nothing, nothing, well, top of the third inning. Delay? Yeah, was there a rain delay? I, I don't know that. We were, I didn't put it on until about 15 minutes ago or so, so oh, I, I don't know. I, I Originally, what I did was I put, I had put NBC Sports Philadelphia, and I forgot the game was on NBC, or was on ESPN. So I, I didn't see the beginning, so I can't tell you. Oh, the, you know, maybe it, uh, they, uh, because of ESPN, maybe they started at 8 o'clock, which would be more like it, I guess. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, I can't answer that question because, I, as I said, I'm looking at it right now, but the reason I didn't see the early part of the game was because I didn't realize it was on ESPN. I, I kept going back uh, to NBC Sports Philadelphia, and, and uh, I said, where the heck's the game? <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were doing the show, and I didn't have a chance to go around the dial and check it out. So uh, that I can't answer. Don, uh, we have well, – uh... We have our, our resident pro is a, is available for a consultation if anybody needs it. Oh, here he is. <laughs> are, you referring to, are you referring to our PGA professional, Doug Hamilton? That, yes, sir. I, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, that's who I'm talking about. Well, that, mm-hmm. that's interesting because it's difficult with his schedule to get him every week to come on <laughs> the show right. with us. But, uh, right. and, and I know we talk about Washington sports and Baltimore mm-hmm. sports and golf. Mm-hmm. He is our main man. So, Doug, first of all, welcome again. Yeah. And uh, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: uh, a little hot down there on the golf course in Baltimore <laughs> today? What, 102? Yeah. Whew! It's uh, it's it's been warm for sure. Um, you know, days like today, I um, you know, I certainly like to be more indoor than out um, in terms of my responsibilities, uh, but. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, we, we, uh, the, the play numbers, uh, weren't real good the last couple of days and we've had some storms roll here, roll through here, um, kind of that early to mid evening kind of standpoint. So, um, it's, it's part and parcel to, to summertime in Baltimore. You know, that's kind of what you get hazy, hot and humid with the chance of storms. So, um, I know this weekend and through next week, they're calling for, um, you know, mid to upper 70s, uh, low 80s. So we'll we'll see if that um, that helps. You know, the play numbers and revenue out. Roger. 
Doug, I was talking about you today. We had a storm. There was a lot of lightning, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm outside helping a guy, and I, I told him all about you and what <laughs> happened to you on the golf course and yeah. uh, made national news, and uh, he was, like, very interested. <laughs> you know, with the, was the guy okay after that? And I said, oh, yeah, he, I mean, you know, but it's really scary. So, uh yeah. I, you know, I won't go into detail. I was working on a uh, sure. underneath a car uh, today, so that's what uh, mm-hmm. it is scary. Yeah. for working on a car with all that metal and everything. Well, I mean, you know, also consider. I mean, you have a lot of people that, you know, I mean, would you like to be up on a roof in some of this weather? Would you like to be, uh, no. you know, uh, paving roads in this weather? Would you like to be, uh, you know, minimum wage, uh, you know, cook? Uh, that's in a you know a incredibly hot kitchen. Um, I mean, there's you know just so many aspects of you know work that we do that we take for granted. And obviously, when you you know kind of get to that, you will say late 30s and beyond concept of thinking that you can kind of still do what you used to do, but you really can't. But you can't get that out of your head that. You know, you, you, you go down to hit balls and you don't take a, a bottle or a glass of water with you or you don't have a towel with you or you not wearing a hat or sunglasses or just different stuff like that. And, you know, next thing you know, you, you don't really feel good. You, you get a little little dizzy and you don't want to sit down because that that'd be the wrong thing to do, right? So we, we, we keep going. And the next thing you know, like this guy, he, you know, falls over and, and uh, sees Tweety Birds. So, um you know, that's, you know, a word to the wise for everybody. I mean, you you do the right things. You put sunscreen on. You dress appropriately. And um, you find shape when you can. And, and um, if it gets to the situation where, you you know, you need to take a break, take one. If you if you can't, can't continue, then shut it down. You know, it's really that simple. I mean, I, tonight was a great example. We, um, we have a, a weather detection, um, you know, uh, it's called weather bug. And when we get lightning that, that strikes within 10 miles, the the alarm goes off, um, and, and uh, it's a signal to the golfers on the golf course that they need to come in because we have lightning. And so, you know, these guys sit around the, the golf shop, and they're watching TV and, and talking, and, you know, next thing you know, they, they want to go play golf. And I say, guys, you, you can't go play. And they're like, well, why not? I'm like, well, you know, the, the, the lightning is still in the area, and the, the detection, you know, system that we have hasn't signified that it's far enough away that it's you know safe enough for you guys to go play so you know i mean at what point are you risking your own health and and sticking us in a scenario where we have liability to say well i don't care i just want to go play golf i mean how important is that to you you know so it 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 comes in different forms and, and and people just you know dismiss some of the signs and and um from a from a decision making standpoint they just always don't make the right one you know so and the other thing is, Doug, that uh, you try to you try to emphasize to some of these, uh, what no matter what sport it is, but golf in particular, because a lot yeah. of people come in, they go out to the driver, and they have four or five balls, they go out. You, you got to hydrate early. I mean, you can't hydrate sure. 15, 15 minutes before you go right. to go out on the golf course. You got to start off your play right. at two o'clock. You got to start hydrating at ten, eleven yeah. o'clock in the morning. Well, I'll tell you this, Don, you know, the most people, as we know it, that are coffee drinkers, you know, the first thing they do in the morning is they, you know, they wake up and they, they grab a, you know, hot, nice hot cup of coffee. Well, 
you know, co- coffee is a, is not only a diuretic, but it, it's in most cases caffeinated, obviously. So it's going to dehydrate you when you drink it. So, you know, the proper thing to do first thing in the morning is to grab a glass of water, drink it to hydrate, and then have your coffee. And it's no different than, you know, a scenario that says, you know, you made a tea time for tomorrow afternoon, you know it's going to be warm. You know, by the time you go to bed tonight, you should be drinking water because if you're drinking water when you're thirsty, it's too late, you know. So always good to consider that. I think the other thing is we uh, touched a little bit on the last segment with uh, uh, Rivera and what's happening with the with the Washington Redskins. We'll talk about the Ravens yeah. as well. But uh, sure. uh, a little bit hot for practice right now in Baltimore yeah. and Washington. But at the same time, uh, just gonna I guess Washington's just gonna let the let the season unfold and see what happens and sure. Baltimore's made a couple of moves. Harbaugh's done a couple of things that I think have strengthened his club. Yeah. Well, I mean you, you know you know that the NFL has, you know, by and large relaxed um a lot of the practice protocols. Um I mean these guys you know are likely drinking, you know, plenty of water and, and uh you know, padded practices are uh, more scripted than not. So in, in most cases, these guys are wearing shorts and t-shirts and although they're wearing right. their helmets, I mean, they're, you know, they're doing their thing, um, you know, and, and it kind of stinks that, that it is so warm, um, you know, but it is what it is for these guys to get ready. It's not unusual for, you know, football to be a little miserable in the start of it. Um, that's kind of why you see a lot of these older guys, you know, hold out if they can, or, you know, Harbaugh or any other coach would, would give his veterans, um, you know, some, scheduled days off as a result of, you know, some of this heat. Um, You know, I think they have, you know, training camps are material in a sense that you're trying to get people ready to play football, yet you don't want to push them too hard so they wind up getting hurt because you have to evaluate, you know, how to go to shape are these guys in and and, uh, how much can I push them uh, to get them ready. And we've already seen in Baltimore that, you know, two of the top receivers have, you know, issues with um, with groin, and that may be a problem to start the season. So um, they went out and got Justin Houston as, as a situational pass rusher, and, and we'll see, you know, how effective he can be. Um, I still have my question marks um, about their defense and, and how uh, good they can be. Um, I think Washington has an excellent defense. I think they have some really critical pieces that their front line um, – from a pass rush and uh, and run stopping scenario is as good as any. Um, they draft the linebacker in the first round, which will likely make a difference. I think Landon Collins coming back as, at the safety position is going to make a difference. I think the Reds, the Reds, I say Redskins, uh, they, they're going to be a good football team this year. If their offense can put some points up, which eh, I don't know about Fitzpatrick. I mean, he's been around. He can move the football. I get it. Um, I think Antonio Gibson is likely to have a, a solid uh, season running the football. Uh, their tight end, Logan Thomas, um, I think has developed a good rapport with Fitzpatrick and played pretty well last year. Um, you know, for all those fantasy football players, he wouldn't be terrible to take in, in the later rounds if you need a tight end. But, um, you know, I, I think um, I think the, the, the jury for me is out. I mean, the, the Ravens offense is very high octane. Obviously, we know we want to run the football. They've uh, done some different things with their offensive line uh, to – you know, hopefully enhance both pass blocking and run blocking for uh, Lamar to be able to throw the football a little bit. Mark Andrews is as good as any tight end in football. Um, 
you know, it's always been a question mark of wide receivers, you know, can they block and can they catch the intermediate pass route? So we'll see. Roger. The get uh, with the staying with the uh, Ravens, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, what do you think the, uh, the the quarterback situation? Not that there is. Do you see the continued development there? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much Greg Roman's going to expand the offense. I mean, I think you'd be hard pressed to get away from something that works, which is a bludgeoning run attack um, that, you know, has just worn teams down. Uh, the question mark is that, you know, that's good enough to win football games, but is it good enough to win a championship? Uh, and so, you know, we, we've seen uh, scenarios where over the last couple of years, um, you know, from a playoff standpoint, you know, that's, that's going to be the monkey on uh, Lamar Jackson's back. Uh, the people are going to say that he can't win a, a playoff game. And I think that most people would, would likely point to the fact that they don't move the football enough. If, if they come out and run the football and play good defense, special teams, and they win, it's because they got ahead, stayed ahead. If, you know, they, they fall behind, they're not the type of offense that can put up points in a hurry, typically. Um, you know, so some, something has to change in his playbook to, um, you know, find ways to move the football a little bit differently than just, you know, four yards at a clip. Um, you know, and at some point, um, this would be the final year, I think, of Lamar's contract. They're going to have to start, you know, negotiating with him. You've seen Josh Allen sign a, a really big <clears throat> extension. You saw Patrick Mahomes do the same thing. And, um, you know, what's to say that Lamar Jackson isn't worth 35 or $40 million a year like these other guys are? So, you know, at what point do you spare him from running the football and, and telling him to slide or get out of bounds or, or whatever uh, in an effort to not get him hurt that $40 million a clip, right? So so I think eventually he's going to have to, you know, throw the football from the pocket a little bit more. Doug, going back to your sport, what? Greensboro is the, the home, home course mm-hmm. this year or this week for, for the – for golf, and it's getting down to the yeah. home stretch. We're going to get into the FedEx and be in the top 50. Yeah. So uh, yep. Greensboro becomes a, a relatively important stop on the tour this week. Yeah. And uh, and I'm forecasting, um, what, two weeks from now, I guess it's the week of the 23rd, where, you know, the BMW comes to the Baltimore area um, at Cave Valley, and that's a, that's a golf course that I'm very familiar with. Um, I've played it several times. Um you know, it'll be kind of cool to see those guys in my backyard. Um, I know they've played a U.S. Senior Open. They've played some LPGA stuff there, um, but but not that I remember a, a tour stop there. Um, and as good as some of these guys are, I mean, gosh, I'm telling you, in two weeks at Caves Valley, uh, the winning score for four rounds, I think, is going to start with a two. I think we're going to be in the 20-plus uh, under par. So, um It'll be fun to watch that for sure. I tell you, these next couple of weeks are big, and I, Ricky Fowler hadn't been able to find the winner's circle for a long time. He's a fifty-one mm-hmm. shot this week at Greensboro. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, you'd like to see him put his game together. He, you know, he gets he plays two good rounds, and then he plays one mediocre yeah. round, and then he plays one bad round. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't, um, you know, over the course of his career, been able to. Um, 
I guess you could say he might be, I don't know, arguably you could say Lee Westwood, I guess, but, but him and Ricky Fowler are, are, are two of the ones that have knocked on the doorstop and haven't been able to, you know, get it done in a major. And, you know, unfortunately that's how a lot of people are judged from a career standpoint. Um, you know, did they win a major, which I, I don't know if I would say is fair or unfair. I'd probably lean towards unfair because, um, you know, Ricky Fowler's a daggone good player and it's just it's super hard to win, you know, on, on the biggest stage, especially you know, right. for, the, for the predominant amount of time that he played. I mean, he was in the shadows of Nicholson and, and Tiger and, and some of these other guys that were having, you know, Hall of Fame careers. So, um, you know, the likelihood of winning, you know, a major when there's only four on the board to get. Uh, I mean, he did win the, what, the Players' Championship or whatever at Sawgrass, but, um, you know, that's as close as he's ever gotten. Well, not only that, but he's won 30 right now to get into the top 50. He's got to win one of these tournaments in the last right. couple of weeks. Uh, right. He does a great job with his commercials. <laughs> he's selling, yeah. a, lot, selling yeah. a lot of good good products, but he's not doing much on the golf course. So uh, this, this yeah. they move from 130 into the top 50. He's got to have a, he's got to have a win or a, at least a couple of second place finishes. Sure. Um, yeah, he, he seemingly was a part of that. Um, at one point in time, younger group of guys that was, you know, him and, and Bubba Watson and Ben Crane and uh, a lot of those guys that traveled together and, and uh, were probably uh, fun to drink a few beers with and, and have a good time with. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, we got uh, Ryder Cup, I guess, coming up here uh, another month or so. Um, you know, so that's always fun. Um, I really look forward to uh, to that event. I think it's it's a great event. Um, I haven't really paid much attention to it, but, um, you know, the likelihood of that uh, United States team looking just a little bit different is, is, is probable, um, you know, based on some of these guys that are playing that you've, you know, heard of but never heard of kind of people, um, you know, so we'll see how that shakes out. Um, you know, the uh, United States hasn't been very fond of the Ryder Cup in recent memory. Um, I guess, what was it, 2014 or so? Um, you know, the, that Patrick Reed, uh, Roy match, the uh, uh, Phil Mickelson, Sergio match were two of the greatest rounds of golf that I've ever seen in match play that were fun to watch. Uh, so, you know, I look forward to that. It's a great event. Roger? Doug, I, I wanted to get back to uh, what you had, we were talking about with bad weather and having trouble uh, mm-hmm. getting uh, some of the uh, golfers off the course. You know, when you think mm-hmm. about it, I, I've done a lot of uh, the high school uh, all-star games, as Don knows, and uh, there were many times because when the would be played in the summer, that uh, mm-hmm. if you'd have a thunder lightning storm, uh, sure. you'd, you had to wait like minutes or 45 minutes right. uh, after right. it was out of the area before you could allow them sure. to even come out of the uh, side of the building and fans. So, yeah. I mean, you know, people have to be careful. I mean, you, you're, thank God you're a, uh, uh, a result of, uh, of making it through, but uh, – it's very scary. Well, I mean, when I think of Yeah. Where did you get hit, Doug? What's that? Where did you get hit? As far as the lightning tonight or? No, no. He, no. Rogers, the he you through. I, thought you had a, I thought you had an incident with lightning somewhere. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I just, 
I just find it hard to believe. I mean, when you, when you talk about, you know, player safety, I mean, that can mean a lot of different things, uh, whether you're playing on, you know, uh, the the old uh, Philadelphia Eagles AstroTurf that wasn't fit for people to, you know, cut on right. and, and tear ACLs, or whether you're playing on a baseball diamond that's a little mushy or, you know, where you have lightning or now you have uh, a pool situation where, where after the, the last strike, you have to wait 30 minutes before people can even enter the pool or, you know, all, all these different scenarios that play themselves out that suggest that, you know, you know, the, the concept is that we're trying to do something for someone's safety, yet they look at it as an inconvenience to their schedule that they can't finish their round of golf or play. And, you know, there is no middle ground there. It's either right or left. And, and unfortunately, you can't have a conversation with somebody where they're going to understand that. You know, now you're going to even go further to say, the legality of this suggests that because I have a weathered system, there's liability involved if I let you go play because it's clearly telling me that you're not supposed to and you're supposed to be off the golf course. So if something happens to you, right. then now the club is liable for it. You know, and that's if you live, right? So, um, you know, that's a that's a difficult thing to explain to somebody who, who only gets one night a week to play because, you know, their kids have baseball practice and this is their only night, right? So that's a hard, well, that's a know, hard conversation to have. Doug, I'm the one that uh, was at fault because I just had this conversation, and, of course, we talk golf with you every week. But it Mm -hmm. was Larry Litwin's son-in-law, Don, that was hit by lightning on a golf course down here a couple of years ago, and it it was on TV uh, when he was hit. And uh, and, uh, and we were just with Larry and, and Nancy, his wife, last week, and we were talking about this because they were down here visiting their daughter and son-in-law. Right. And it was just believable the reaction that he had and the toll it took. And, I mean, he had to, had to rush him to the hospital to check him out and everything. Yeah. But he was a uh, vendor at the, uh, uh, at the course, one of the courses here in Atlanta. And, and, and that's, uh, that's what it was. That's why I was. I, I said, wait a minute. You know, it wasn't Doug. No, it was Billy. Right. I think Roger and, and Doug, I, Lee Trevino got hit twice, didn't he, if I remember correctly? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah, he got hit twice, not once. Uh, yeah. I mean. The only guy that uh, ever was on a course with uh, with the Lightning and uh, still played through was Lee Trevino back in the uh, late 70s. When he pulled out his one iron and said, even God can't eat right. a one iron. Right. <laughs> That's True. a pretty good line. I like that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's hey, deep. Frank, I, I don't know whether I, they, uh, I understand this was a uh, question that nobody got the answer to last week on Jeopardy, but uh, what language was the uh, Declaration of Independence written in other than English? Mm. And and nobody knew, and they uh, answered French, and the, the oh. answer is German, Latin, German oh, okay. town in Philadelphia, because it had the <laughs> strong population of Germans, and obviously German Town Avenue, German right. town that we right. all are familiar right. with. Mm-hmm. I, I would have said was, France uh, right off the bat. I I agree with whoever said France. That would have been my pick. Everybody right? said that. that was the answer. Everybody gave mm. French. And the answer is German. How about that? Well, we learn something new every yeah. day. That's right. Well, and and, and hey, 
you got Germantown, Maryland. I lived there yeah, when I do. was on uh, active duty in the Navy. Not terribly far from from where I currently reside. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's right near uh, Bethesda and uh, Rockville, yeah. right in that pocket right down, there. Right down two seventy, you'll get it. Well, Doug, yeah. is there is there a lot of enthusiasm right now in the Washington Baltimore area for the upcoming exhibition season, and then of course the regular season. Uh, some of the uh, coaches have made the decision that uh, they're not going to play their just as you mm-hmm. indicated, because of injury, not going to play their quarterback sure. at all. Denver, I yeah. think, is well, one of them. And uh, there's a lot the, other of- thing, the other thing is there's a lot of controversy now about what Bill Belichick is doing. Not controversy. A lot of information about what Bill, what Bill Belichick is doing with his quarterbacks up there in New England with mm-hmm. the Patriots. It looks like the young kid that he drafted, what, 17 or 16, whatever it was, mm-hmm. must be playing a lot better than everybody thought he was going to. And he may uh, he he may be the starting quarterback before this gets started. Well, I mean, like at the end of the day, your your preseason is an effort to get people some reps, but not to get anybody hurt. There's position battles for you know the the bottom depths of your chart that need to be figured out. Uh, there's reps to be had by you know backup quarterbacks. And in the Ravens situation, do they keep two? Do they keep three? You got Tyler Huntley and you got uh, Trace McSorley. Are they going to keep two of those guys? For, for three quarterbacks, or are they going to keep just one of them? Which one's better than the other one? Um, you know, you, you've got, um, you know, concepts of practice squad scenarios where you maybe need a backup kicker or a snapper or something like that that you're trying to get people reps for. Um, you know, there's there's the possibility of I have too many people at this position. Can I show these people and maybe make a trade? Um, so there's a lot of things that are going to play out in the preseason. But at the end of the day, like I said, your your goal is to – Get some reps, but not not get anybody hurt. You know that's that's the underlying goal. Roger. Yeah, I said I said Mac uh, Brown. I was thinking of the coach, but uh, Mac Jones is Mac the Jones, uh, rookie yeah. quarterback at uh, yeah. for the Patriots. Right. And then uh, my uncle mentioned the other day that the Jets have not signed their uh, first round uh, uh, quarterback mm-hmm. pick uh, from uh, yeah. BYU. I, is that Correct. still – he's the only draftee that hasn't been signed. I wonder why I that know. is. Uh, maybe he has another Mormon commitment he has to make for a couple of years. Who knows? Well, yeah. uh, listen, a team that needs everybody on the line and he can't ready to go is the Jets. Uh, you know, right. In fact, not only that, but their general manager is on the hot league. You know, this is his third year, and if mm-hmm. uh, the Jets don't make a, a major, major move forward – uh, mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think his name's Gettleman, and I think it's Gettleman. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I think Gettleman's he's going with he, the Giants. Oh, that's right, Gettleman's it, with the Giants. That's yeah, right. Joe, uh, it's the the uh, general manager of the Jets used to be the uh, assistant GM for the Eagles. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Dodgers but anyway, two uh, home run off Gibson. So they're up two nothing mm-hmm. over a lot of Dodger fans. It says. Citizens Bank Park tonight. Yes, sir. Fifteen rows up and right and left center field. He really hit that ball. There it goes. It's out of here. (laughs) Are you watching it too, Doug? Stop the clock. We didn't. uh, We had first of all, we apologize that we couldn't have Tommy on with us tonight because he was in an area where. uh, 
the telephones weren't working well, whether it was the storm or the, the phones just weren't working. Uh, we uh, we apologize. Tommy was not with us. Roger, thank you very very much as always. Doug, it's always you, a Doc. pleasure to be with you and all of our all of our guests. Chris Wheeler was great. Mike was good, and uh, just nice having everybody here with Roy Cummings and what we talked about. Tony Esposito. So it was a great show. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much, Frank. It's all yours. Okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces and the men and women Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. These are very, very tough times for men and women in uniform. These these programs are dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerba, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Anafu Crispin, Lakeland PD, Chief Al Hogo, Longwood Cape Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Zaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA, Highway Patrol. Lieutenant uh, Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Patrol uh, Robert Jermaine, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Cutlock, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, <clears throat> Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police, Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, FDLE Special Inspector Vinnie Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Bauer. Uh, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Island County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Officer Bob McKetchen, and Bluxy, Kentucky Police, Police Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Sergeant Brian Levate, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. And <coughs> Deputy Mike Malik, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Although, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, my brothers and sisters, at some time you'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, when the rose raise up to meet you, may the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Good night. God bless and have a great week. Shame, I 
Oh, you must be advised 1999 has responded to his last emergency. May God rest his soul. 